0: Number one, I come from a home of givers. I come from two parents that just raised me to give, 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 and have a posture of humility. And so I think once you get older and you mature and your parents have planted that seed, then I think you understand what life is about at that point as you mature. Now E, what is their a days 24 a year old spends opening up his first restaurant? Gosh, I could give you conversations that I had maybe under the influence or with with other people that were not the Spence that you're talking about right now. But I think what business has a unique opportunity to do is humble you big time.
1: Welcome everyone to The Ultimate Shift. Join Ephraim Glick and leading figures in business and entertainment as they share their stories of regular people overcoming tremendous obstacles only to achieve happiness, success and fulfillment. Are you ready to make the ultimate shift in your life? Okay, welcome back to the ultimate shift. Today we have a guest. Back in the house from, like, what, a year ago? Well, a little more than a year ago, probably. Ben Sheldon, ladies and gentlemen, the Donato's superhero, super uh, superman. You got a lot to talk about today. Since you've been on here, you have opened up two more stores. You've got married. You're expecting a, a little one. So fill us in, brother.
0: Gosh, yeah. I mean, it's been a wild year, to say the least. I don't even know where to begin. E, uh, First off, thanks for having me again. everyone that knows Ephraim they know he's probably one of the most genuine humble human beings and so just to spend time with you man I'm just super appreciative and thankful and yeah so I'm spending a lot of time in Nashville now obviously we're having the two new locations here and Going through growth, I think. Believe it or not, I, since the last time we spoke, I only had one location. I think. I think, I, think podcast, I opened. Yeah. A, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, on you were looking at opening. Yeah, the second up the, one. The fair was. Yeah, Cave Mill. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. And you dropped in. That's yeah. that's just who he is. Yeah. He just showed up at our grand opening. He did not, un, oh. unbeknownst to me, he shows up at our, our second location in my hometown. And so, yeah, I mean, I was just getting a good feel for it, the growth and what that kind of looked like, and. Try not to micromanage as much and understand how I was going to grow. And then we'll talk about later, but now it's it's who, it's who, it's not how anymore. I got that from really? Dan Sullivan. Yeah, just start operating your company as if you had 10 of them. I think, I think that's helped me tremendously on kind of letting go. Instead of figuring out how am I going to get this done, it's who's going to get me there. And I think that's, that's helped me drastically. But yeah, I, we went from one to two. Obviously, my first location was... A, you know, it took me about three and a half, four years to kind of get the foundation for, you know, what was I doing? How, you know, how, how could I manage this? And how can I get good at, at this craft of hospitality? And so that took me about three and a half, four years for all you entrepreneurs. And, and then opened up my second one. Still not that big of a risk because it was in the same market.
1: Same town, same market. Yeah,
0: same town, same market. And we just let the consumers kind of tell us when we needed to grow. And so once we... The demand got so big that it was functionally, it doesn't, didn't make a whole lot of sense to keep trying to turn out that type of volume out of one kitchen space. We decided to grow to two. And so we did two, and within a year, about a year, year and a half, <laughs> from I was just now kind of like getting in the groove a little bit on, on how this was going to work and had people in places. and um, And then all of a sudden, the franchise approaches me about the two Tennessee locations. The timing couldn't have been worse, and so uh, I've always wanted to get to Tenant Nashville specifically. I've always wanted to offer something to this town. I've always been uh, a music guy. I've always been close. The city. Been... You lived here. Yeah, for, I for, lived for here for people who don't remember start. that. Before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I lived here for a little while, um, uh, and uh, I got my start in hospitality actually at Pinewood Social with with uh, yeah. Strategic Hospitality and Ben and Max. I loved the way they did things, and so. So yeah, it's kind of how I got my start. And then, so basically I grew the first time one to two because the consumers told me. And then this third time I grew from two to four because uh, the deal was right. And so I think we're all looking for the secret sauce on when should we grow? How should we grow? What does that look like? And I read many a books because I was ready to grow, but I also, you know, it was young and, and I guess uh, I used what I didn't know as a as a positive and I just I still didn't know what I didn't know and so I just uh dove into books podcasts and mentors and and so my first growth was the consumer demanded that I did because I couldn't get to um everyone and then the second time the deal was right and so here we are so two to four and then obviously <laughs> this is not a small thing but yes I got married and have a little on the way so it's just been a uh, it's been a wild 2021. Then a tornado in your hometown. And tornado hits, yeah. And right, that, right when you're trying to open up two stores too, right, right. It's crazy how God works, man. When when I went to open up from one store to two, I got COVID. Really? Uh, yeah, the two the week of the opening, so I had to push my wow. opening back. And then this this time uh, the day, so I acquired these two locations in Tennessee. They were already existing concepts, and uh, I bought them from the company. And we had negotiated this deal for six months. I mean, this was a, a six month deal, and so the date was was set, and I knew based on kind of how these stores were led, nobody's fault. Just one, just how it landed. They weren't they weren't led great. I needed to get into these stores, and I wasn't gonna let a tornado push back this kind of closing date on the on this acquisition. One of the days I was supposed to walk in and, and take over these stores. And so, yeah, a tornado hits three days prior that I'm supposed to walk into these locations and uh, my town is near and dear to me. I, you know, I will raise my family in that town. I will uh, forever live in Bowling Green. Um, and to for that, something so devastating to happen three days prior to when I had to leave my city or our city of Bowling Green uh, was tough on me. I, you know, you spend 48 hours doing everything you can, right? To help because you know you're about to leave. So when that happens, you uh, you kind of shift gears and, um, and and you jump to Tennessee. And so, yeah, having a lot of <laughs> thoughts and angst about all the devastation going on and friends and family that were affected by that while you're down here, it just feels self- selfish, you know. I'm down here in Tennessee trying to open up these two, well, not open up, but take over these two uh, restaurants. And so it, was, uh, it has been a wild ride. Yeah, I don't know which part of that you want to hear most about, but um, I- I'm ready to dive in.
1: All of it, really. So, so just to clarify for our listeners, you, so, Spence, ha, you own Donato's Pizza, yeah, which is really more than pizza. You guys do some fabulous sandwiches and everything else. I can attest to everything you do there because I've tried lots of it. And then, so you have two in Bowling Green. You have the. Someone just asked me this last week. Uh, you have the Midtown one in Nashville, correct?
0: Yes, the one and, in Midtown, and, yeah.
1: and then in Murfreesboro. Yeah, so Murfreesboro towns. So whenever you, did you launch Midtown? Did you re, relaunch it already?
0: So yeah, I mean, we we have, that's um, a slow burn in our industry, especially when there's been a concept there for five years. It's hard to get people's trust back. I think Nashville, that location in itself, there's so many new people coming to this town and, and, and new consumers daily that I'm not so worried about that location. I think if we can get the right staff and our product stays consistent, And then obviously we're going to change a lot of the front of the house and the aesthetic of the place. Uh, We're going to, you know, dump some money into it to where people when they walk in, they, they obviously, Whoa, something's different about this place. And then then when they leave, they understand that something is in fact different in that uh, we choose hospitality, not service. And, and so, yeah, that Nashville store right there in Midtown, it's a great location for us. There's a bunch of Vandy housing going in right across the street from us, which is going to be huge. But then the Murfreesboro store is totally different. That, that store, kind of operates more like a Bowling Green store. I think it's uh, a smaller town that you really have to dive into that town and get connected. It's not, it's more, I don't know what the word is. It's, it's more transformational, I guess, than than transactional to where Nashville can become very transactional because there's so many people here and they're coming in and out and it's just kind of go, 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 go to where Murfreesboro operates a lot like Bowling Green to where they want to know you. They want to see familiar faces. They want to see the same faces, you know, and I have to get there and, and connect myself with that city, which is going to take a lot of time. And so, um, I plan on moving here for a couple months. Uh, um, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Before this little one arrives, I think, uh, that's, that's what I have to do. So you're not traveling back and forth? I tried that, E, for the last two There's weeks. Two hours? One way, maybe? Yeah, yeah. An hour and a half to get to Murfreesboro, depending on the traffic. You know how that goes? And I've tried that, man. I thought, we just talked about this. You know, I think most entrepreneurs think they're Superman until they're not. And uh, I just tried that the last two weeks, traveling back and forth. I'm going to get home to my wife. I'm going to, I need to be back at these Bowling Green stores because they're essentially funding the two Tennessee stores. I got to make sure that they're good, and I'm gonna mm-hmm. zip back there and I'm gonna hire a Murfreesboro, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna go to Nashville and make sure that we're getting that kitchen squared away, and and so I just um, I quit figuring out how, and I, I went to the drawing board the last 48 hours. And said okay, who 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 can help me here because I'm running wild. I thought that this was gonna you know this is. I don't know what I thought, e, but this has been the hardest thing I've ever done, uh, by far, is to take over two existing concepts that haven't been led well the last five years. So you're you're going in, good, you know. God love them, that you know some employees that just aren't going to merge with you and your company and how you do things. But unfortunately, because the labor situation and finding good applicants, especially in a city where people have no idea who you are, are, are am I going to trust my kid working in this space? I've got to keep them. And that's so against our policy as a company because I just need bodies. Because yeah. the sales are coming in, whether we want them to or not. And I just need bodies to make pizzas. And I, I'm not using people as a means to an end. I think while, we're the, we're, while they're there in our space, we're going to dive into them and see if, if it's a fit. But the reality of it is after five years of bad habits, sometimes as a company, you got you to make some calls. And that's, hey, listen, I think you'd be better off jumping into a different space been trying to, you and I, I, unfortunately, I just don't have the time anymore. There was a day where I could dive in and, you know, have this whole, I'm going to change that person. Well, I now I don't have time to change that person. And sometimes the best thing to do is to make a decision that's going to help the other 130 employees, not at the one, you know, you kind of have to look at the big picture now with that, with that much employees instead of me going, I'm going to dedicate my time to this one because it's the one that we got. Sometimes you just got to make that call and say, hey, you know, unfortunately, this isn't going to work out. I would rather start fresh with someone new. And I, I know that sounds a little, gosh, negative or, or condescending, but it's just uh, that's where I'm at.
1: I, I I get that completely. We we have the same same thing here, speaking specifically about roofing. I've learned that for us, it has been better to bring in people that have no knowledge whatsoever about the industry than to try to bring in people that maybe have and, and don't want to do things we do things a little differently, kinda of like you, I think in hospitality. And and so I've found it's much easier to train someone from the ground up than it is to try to get them to change maybe some habits that you don't particularly want in your organization.
0: Absolutely. And I I think you can there's but there's there's obviously there's always an exception to to every rule. And we've had plenty of people that we would, like my managers, for instance, at in both locations, I, I moved two managers to Murfreesboro from Bowling Green. I moved one to uh, Midtown, uh, but we've kept all the managers but one inside both of those spaces, in in Murfreesboro and Midtown. And because they were there for a reason, we felt like they knew the store probably better than we did, and, and the little nuances inside of a kitchen that that you need, and their expertise. And and they've been very receptive. The management, it's just, it's all the employees and the the employees that are working a couple hours a week or or 20 hours a week and and just been used to getting by with doing very little for um, quite a bit of pay. And so for for me, it was this is not who we are. And uh, and so, yeah, absolutely. To your point, of course, I think most people would say that I would much rather get someone in fresh and all they know is the way things are supposed to be done inside your company rather than try to break a bunch of bad habits. We've had a few that we've been able to to break nuts, for lack of a better word, but we have, uh, we've definitely—that's where we're at. I mean, we just—we're not, and we're not getting a lot of applicants right now. Because we're—who cares if the ownership changed? We don't know who the new ownership is. Oh, here we go. And we've all seen this story too, right? The ownership changes, 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 and they fizzle out, right? Ownership change doesn't mean crap to me personally in business unless I get to know that owner and understand, oh, wow, things are actually going to be different. So we can promote new ownership all day long. We can post fancy pictures and, and do all this stuff. But the reality of it is these people still don't know me. And I've got to insert myself in Murfreesboro to, to go, you know, introduce myself to the churches and the high schools and the, and, the, and the offices. And so that's going to take some time.
1: Yeah, so I'm I'm really curious about... Gosh, man, I just hearing you talk, I, I can I can hear how much you have going on in your voice, but I'm curious, you're what, 27 now?
0: 29.
1: Are you 29? Okay. Well, still young yeah. to be running the organization that. you are. And but I think for anyone that knows you, you have the the biggest heart, the biggest I mean, outside of Donatos, you're still doing almost home the nonprofit which um I'm curious to see how that's grown too. But what motivates Spence Sheldon? How do you stay motivated with with, you know, you're talking about marriage now. Now you, you want to give her some of your time, obviously, and you are expecting a child, which again you're you're adding more to your plate. And four stores. So how do you, and what's your advice to someone that's so maxed out, which that would seem maxed out to me, to find the balance in that, find the, the happy moments, find that time with your spouse and still fill your own cup.
0: Yeah, I think for someone that has a lot on their plate, it, it sounds, uh, it doesn't make sense for, cause we got here on purpose, right? Like I, I think most people that have a lot going for them are just a b- bunch of yes people. And we're really uh, whimsical and just make ourselves very flexible. And we just do and we go, and we rip and we romp. And, what I've learned to do, because my personality is that, I got here on purpose. There's no one to blame but myself, so I'm sure as heck not gonna bitch and complain about it now that I'm here. Is so I've I've learned to be very intentional with my time. I've learned to figure out when I do the best work, and when I'm the best, you know, husband. When I'm the best. Boss, if you will, and capitalize on that. So, for instance, for me, my mornings are when I can get the most done. I can get the most done inside our company in the mornings, and I know I need to capitalize on that. And so, I get up fairly early, you know, five thirty a.m., and and uh, I work out, and that's where I fill my cup. So, basically, I've just become very structured because what got me here was just a lot of yes and let's go and let's make this happen. And I don't really know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it, and that's beautiful and all. I think most entrepreneurs possess that, but now that I'm here. And, I, and, and like it's, it's it's in front of me every day. I have to be very, very structured, very structured in that, hey, come five, six o'clock. And I haven't pinned this down. So Shelby, don't hold me this to this. But, <laughs> you know, come five, six o'clock, my phone goes up, right? I know that my my best peak hours, peak performing hours for Spence, I'm a morning guy. Some people that may be at night. So I would, I would suggest that you spend that morning time with your family if your performance hours are, are at night or some people... I call them lunatics. Their peak performing hours from three to five. Like what, who who performs yeah. well three to five? I don't know. And most people I know are like late night hours, stay up right. all night, get a lot done Same. or early, early morning. But believe it or not, there's people out there. So I think for me, it's, I know my mornings are when I can get the most done inside our company. I, I put that on our, you know, making phone calls, checking in on the stores, get if I need to travel. I'll, I'll jump in my truck and head there. I, I get—that's when I'm at my best inside our company. I think it's important you find that, and then you have boundaries. I mean, you have got to have boundaries, or else my wife would have already divorced me. We've only been open two or three months, but when I go home, it's important that listen. You know, we, we're we're transitioning phones, so I've got my work phone, and now I'm gonna have my personal phone. But I'm gonna put the phone up. You know, from from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. are my working hours. My employees. My vendors, my landlords, you know, they can all call me. Investors, they can call me from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., but they're going to know after 5 p.m., I've got a wife and child now that, that, that I need to be with. And so I've become really structured. That's, and, and what got me here was not a lot of structure. It was a lot of, hey, I can do this. I'm going to make this work. And let's just be honest, too, I, I wasn't married. I was, you, just, you know, I really had zero responsibilities other than my companies for so long. But to your point, yeah, now I've got a family at home and I'm responsible, if not, well, I am more responsible for that more than anything. And so I think it's important to figure out your peak hours. When do I perform the best? You know, when do I get the most done? And that's my mornings for me. So I reserve that time for our company. And then I think for me, too, it's uh, the weekends are, um, are when I'm the busiest. So I know that. I mean, this is just a hand that I I, I, de- I was dealt, and with hospitality. And so, you know, my weekends, my wife knows. Hey, you know, I'm gonna. Those she we understand that my weekends are pretty much taken up by hospitality in the restaurant industry. Now having one on, you know, Broadway and the late night stuff for now until I get a hang of it and get a good feel for what I need in that space. And but then having a day off, like turn it off. Turn it off, you know. And I've never had a day off, and I still haven't had a day off. And this, in hospitality, there is no turning it off. We're open 24/7. I don't turn it off, but it's important for me if I want to keep my sanity and uh, and be able to lead well. I, nobody leads well on E ever. You're not the husband. You're not the boss. You're not the brother. You're not the friend that you want to be when you're exhausted. I learned that the last two weeks. If you talk to my employees you know, last two weeks they would, I mean, I think four or five of them wanted to quit. I mean, I would just go back and forth because here's the thing, if you're not intentional with your time to eat, you try to get a lot done in a small amount of time. When I walk into a restaurant and I haven't been there in the last week or two and I immediately see something wrong and I've just, boom, I got to get to the point because I want to make my time here very efficient. I'm not going to be here long. and I got to get to the other, or I got a 10 o'clock. I got 11 o'clock. I got to get to this restaurant. I got to do this. And that's just not the best way. That's why you need people to help you get to where you want to. When I come in, they need fist bumps and air hugs. And, you know, that's what they need from me. Not, hey, you made that wrong. That doesn't look acceptable. Why did you run that to a table? They don't need that from me. And unfortunately, the last two or three weeks, because I felt so overstretched that I felt like in any store that I need to be in, I need to fix the problems rather than, you know, praise all the, all the good stuff going on. So, um, that would be my thing. I just got really structured.
1: Well, did that come, did structure come easy for you?
0: No, I mean, it's, it's definitely something I still struggle with, but it has helped me tremendously because I was a yes guy. I mean, I just want to find my best. Yes. Now it's not, um, I just want to be more stern with my nose and more, um, strategic with my yeses. And I think, Listen, I know most people understand, but it, when you have a family, man, it, you have no choice. You have no choice because I could justify staying at work 24-7. I could. I could justify it. Um, not that I don't love my wife, but you just get in that you know, that you rotation you and you love yeah. what you do and you're just, you're moving and shaking. But it's like, hey, man, like you got a wife at home. This is, this is what you both chose, and, and now you got a little one on the way. You've got to be able. There's a balance. There's 100% of balance. But like I said, Dan Sullivan has changed my life over the last two weeks, and that is it's not how am I going to get there, it's who's going to get me there. Because all we're working for, honestly, at the end of the day, is freedom financially, our time, our relationships. We just want freedom in those because, if they, I mean, if it's about the, the and then there's a lot of money too in, in this whole game and let's just you know call it what it is. But if I'm not freeing up my time for my family, if I'm not freeing up my time for other relationships so and go meet people, freeing up my time to travel, I'm not freeing up myself financially. then What the freak am I working so hard for, yeah. right? And so it's like if I don't have that balance, then I, this is counter this is counterproductive. Why am I why am I working so hard? And I'm doing it what everyone else in the world's doing, working their nine to fives, 50, 60 hours a week. You know, I'm, I'm doing I'm no different. What you know, and so for me, it's once you start shaping your mindset like that, I'm doing this. So I do have the freedom. But all I see is going in the reverse direction that <laughs> I'm doing something tremendously wrong. And I think that's what helped me. It helped me say, hey, why am I working as hard as I am? What drives me? Well, I want financial freedom. I want freedom of relationships, freedom of travel I just want freedom. I just want freedom to go and do, but it seems with every business venture expense that you you put on your plate, it's going the opposite way, so you've got to figure out structure and you got to figure out people you gotta get good people around you that can help you get there to where you are you I know mean, it's not just you um, and then ultimately you want that for your second life so. i'm i'm
1: I'm asking those questions because I find myself very much relating to to what you're saying you know we have this company here, I'm the managing partner in one in Florida, and my time is just always stretched thin. And you said something a couple of weeks ago when I saw you at your store that helped me tremendously. I don't know if you remember, but you said something to the extent that the reason, because I get a lot of people ask me for meetings and, and that they maybe want to sell, and I know that it's not my best time. Can you rephrase that?
0: Yeah, I got this from Andy Stanley, and it's been awesome. It's helped me so much. I'm glad you brought this up. But it's helped me with my time. And drumroll, please. Um, (laughs) I feel like we've hyped this quote up. It's basically the same reason I can't meet with you. Oh, the same reason that you want to meet with me is the same reason I can't. So I'll say it again. The same reason that you want to meet with me is the same reason I can't meet with you. And most people should respect that. It's you know, the same reason you wanna pick my brain on how I run my company or how I run my business, or the same reason you want to get to know me, is the same reason why today I just can't take this coffee or this lunch or this business meeting because I've got tunnel vision. I have been a little bit of success in my space. Well that doesn't happen if I'm just if I'm just barking at every around, dog. Yeah. If you're just mm-hmm. plopping around, I'm very intentional with my time, I'm very purposeful with my time, I've got a responsibility here, a big one if at that. And unfortunately, coffee today can't happen. And I think there's ways to communicate that. I don't think you necessarily, but that's the way you have to think. You have to think. I have to think in that, hey, you want to meet with me because, you know, I got it going on or I figure, but I don't got it going on at all. If I take every meeting, every coffee, every business Or somebody, you know, somebody wants me to invest in their company, or listen. And I'm all for listening and meeting new people. That's part of this game too. Don't get me wrong. But I think internally, if you start shifting your posture when people are asking you to go do rip their mom, say, hey, you know, even though I think you value my friendship, but I think this is more of a business meeting that I personally can't switch gears right now and talk about, you know, this facet of my business or investing in yours or. You know, whatever the meeting may be, I just, I can't take every meeting. I can't. As, there was a day I wanted to and couldn't wait to, and I was flattered. Well, now it's like as you mature and you grow in this, in, in business, your time's valuable. Your time's valuable. I think Maxwell says it, but he says, everyone in my company has my love, has my affection. You know, like everyone in my company has an unlimited amount of love pouring from me, but my time you have to fight for. Time you have to fight for it. Everyone of my everyone I in my company has my unconditional love. But it's my time, you gotta fight for that now, unfortunately. And those people in your company will rise and, and you'll know the ones that you need to cater to, to, talk to over time. But unfortunately, I can't just talk to every one of my employees every single day or about their issues at home, at work. There was a day I, I, I thrived on that. And I think the bigger you get, the smaller you do have to act. So now I have those people in those doors that need to understand that it is important to talk about their boyfriend and girlfriend problems. You know, their C on their paper that they made at school or mom and daddy handled a situation a little rough and, they're, and they seem different inside our uh, kitchens. I have those people in place now, but I personally can't take those phone calls or have those meetings anymore. I, I just there's things that I'm responsible for. There's things that only the CEO can do that I'm responsible for. And so. So, so, yes, that that's helped me tremendously. Oh, my gosh. I'm glad you brought
1: that up. Yeah, I, I struggle with that. And, and I've found that in the past year or so, I just started to, one, there's this whole picture of within your organization time uh, where mine's not near as, as big as yours. I still have very much one-on-one time. But then there's a whole other side of, of the spectrum, which is the, the, your outside of your organization, people that want your time, whether it's this guy trying to sell you insurance, this guy just wants to pick your brain on business. Those are the things that I learned that I started saying, what, what's the purpose of the meeting? What's the outcome going to be? And if it's not, okay, well, the, this isn't the best spent my time. And then I think on that trajectory, I feel like if I'm going to give someone my time, why not give it to the guys who have entrusted me with their careers and their time? So that's more important to me. And that was a, a hard lesson for me to learn because I used to take every meeting from every person and think I want to learn and I want to learn. And I realized it's not fair to my people for one. And then secondly, it's not fair to me. So when you said that, that would that really I thought about that so many times since. But and and I think it's it's something that a lot of people get hung up with when they're they're as they get busier and busier and grow and grow. And on that same note, I'm also really curious about. I'm very big on culture, on building company culture and, and the brand and getting people wrapped in your vision and understanding why they're coming to work. That it's not that it to them, it's not just a paycheck anymore, but it's they want to go because they feel like they're a part of something bigger than them, themselves. When you grow to the point that you have now, how do you continue to grow that culture? And do you do it by getting some managers in place maybe and and them helping now so that it's not always just being sucked out of your energy or how do you navigate that?
0: That's the golden ticket, right? I think that's what Chick-fil-A has done a phenomenal job of, of growing a hospitable culture. And I think it's repetition, it's consistency. It's absolutely finding the right people. That's, that's a hundred percent. But to your point, I think, uh, he was Ronald Reagan. He walked into to NASA, and he's, he's he's President at the time and he walks in, and there's the janitor mopping the floor in front of him. And uh, he looks and he's like, "What are you doing?" And the the janitor looked up, and he said, i'm I'm helping a man get on the moon." And I think your culture has to be so deep rooted into like the bigger picture that everyone feels a part of, yeah. from your dishwasher to your delivery drivers, to your kitchen people, to your front of the house people to your bartenders, I think they have to understand what kind of company they're working for. And your GMs and your managers have to represent that every single day. And I tell my managers all the time, if your employees aren't rolling their eyes at you when when you ask them about the customer experience, what's the, what's the deal in our dining room? How's everyone being treated? If they're not rolling their eyes, then you're not saying it enough. I mean, that's how you create the culture. Now, none of this happens if we don't take care of them first you know, there's an order to this. I can't just come in and harp all the time about the, the consumers, the consumers, the consumers, you know, um, our friends out in the dining room. They got to know I care about them too. And I think when you care about your employees tremendously, they will in return enjoy what they do. I think that'll show up in your dining room. And I think at that point, it's a trickle down effect, but there's an order to it. You've got to take care of your people. You've got to love one the ones that you got. Um, you got to take care of them. You got to pay them. You got to do all the, all the things as entrepreneurs that we're so reluctant to do. You got to give them your time. Your employees, 100% you do. And, and like I said, the ones that are fighting for it, they're going to get it. And, and you can't wait to give it to them. Um, and they're going to show up in your workspace and they're going to set the standard and they're going to, you know, curate that culture. And I think that's just it. It's just got to be so deep rooted. It's got to be repeated every, every meeting you have with your employees, every, you know, It's every time, every shift, every day, right now, as we try to grow our company, we have to talk about the customer experience. It's not enough just to give them a pizza. It's just not. You walk into my joint and you ask for a large pepperoni pizza. We hand you a large pepperoni pizza. That's what you expected. There was nothing different about us than anyone else. And then at that point, we're just relying on the product. I think we have a great product, but at the end of the day, it's like, listen, there's 50 million other places to get pizza in this town. I can't control whether you like my pizza, but I can absolutely control how you're treated while you're in here. And that's just where we – it's just got to be so deep-rooted. You've got to talk about it all the time. If your employees and your managers and your GMs and your, you know, however your business is structured, they're not rolling your eyes. Every time you ask about, okay, yeah, we put on a great roof and, yeah, we got this done in record time. But how did they feel about us when we were there? Did we check in on them? Did they do we communicate with them? Did we ask how ask them how we were doing? Did we give them an experience? Right? It cannot be transactional. It has to be transformational. A hundred percent. Did I transform their perspective on my industry or was this transactional? Did I come in, do my job, they paid us and we got out? And we just, we're very consistent and and repetitive. I just think consistency compounds. And I think if you just stay consistent and you just stay consistent and you stay consistent and you you hire GMs. If what I'm talking about on a regular basis with my GMs is the customer experience, they have no choice but to report back to their stores and talk about the same thing. If all I talk about at the top is the numbers, 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 guess what? They're going to go back to their store and talk about how our sales are down this week or our labor percentage was high and our food. We're going to be talking about that forever. The reality of it is, if I want something to grow, I've got to keep talking about it. i got to stay consistent. And there's got to be, it's got to be so deep-rooted. Everyone, not just the top tier, needs to understand what we do. Everyone needs to know. One of the last meetings I had with our GMs, with our managers, before we went from two to four restaurants, I asked them all to write on a piece of paper who we are as a company. So I just wanted to know. Because I wanted to know if I was doing my job. I said, who do you think we are? Who? Why... Does this company exist? Who are we? And they all wrote down, and man, we all kind of teared up because it was the exact same thing.
1: No way. Oh man. yeah,
0: everyone everyone in, on the, in the room, it was about eight of us, they all wrote down to give the customers a great experience, to treat people like we would treat themselves. You know, It was all like, some of it was a little hokey, but at the end of the day, it was always about loving on people, creating a culture that people, yeah, we use pizza as a vehicle, to love people like Jesus would, but that's that's just what we did, and and, and you know it, it wasn't uh, every single one of them said something along those lines, and at that point, no, was it a notch under my belt? No, but I think we're getting the hang of this, and I think that this culture thing is gonna, it's it's not just gonna be one two stores and then fizzle out. I do think that we've got enough people around this table that understand what I expect out of this company. And what we were created to do, then I think we can expand. And so that's why it was. Um, so, anyways, I just think, I think it's just repetitive. Stay consistent. Talk about it a lot, you know. And and then you you quit talking about it, and they can't they can't wait to come tell you, right? It, yeah. it switches, right? It's like, hey, man, this is what we did in our dining room, and and we put systems in place. That we give out five free desserts every week at, at all the restaurants. That's just part of who we are. And then they write it down. They tell me who it was, why they did it. And, that, you know, that's just little stuff like that. And then we have our, uh, our our second chance books and our restaurants, which is basically when we, it's our last chapter book. Sorry, that when we make a mistake, we don't care about mistakes. When we do the volume, mistakes are going to happen. But we look at mistakes as an opportunity to show people who we really are. And so they get to write down the book. how It's not, I don't want to see the negatives in the book. I want to see how we wrote the last chapter. And so they write down the issue. And then after the issue, whether we took out a burnt pizza or the pizza was late or we dropped a pizza or the delivery was on time, how do we fix it? I want to know how we fixed it. I could care less about the mistake. We're going to make mistakes. How do we fix it? How did we write a really cool last chapter? And and that's how we and that's how we do it. So, I mean, it's all about the culture. It's all about the culture, and we keep talking about it. I want to talk to my James about the labor percentage and the profitability all day long. They know that. Not all day long, but at some point when the timing's right or we're struggling in that area— we're going to sit down and have a conversation. But what they will hear from me every single time I talk to them is how's the customer experience. That's,
1: that's incredible. You should write a book about customer experience <laughs> and hospitality. I would love it. Well, because you think about so many restaurants, and, and everything you're talking about is what is actually what makes me go back to a restaurant. You know what I'm saying? Of course. And there's so many restaurants. There's so many times that, that you you just feel like you're that transaction. And and I think you're really on to something. And, and uh, that's probably why you're growing at the leaps and bounds you are within all of that. Let's say you're, you're bringing in someone new or especially in your situation where you're going in, you're now you're taking over a couple of stores and what seems to me would be a real short amount of time. You've got to find out what motivates each and every one of those people and how do you even approach that? How do you even start that? Because if you don't know what motivates your people, then you you're kind of shooting blanks that's how I feel. I don't know if that's, across the board but
0: oh you're you're a hundred percent you're hundred percent correct because a lot of leadership is do I have the right to get on to you when you're doing something wrong absolutely I do is the timing right do I have the right to do this absolutely but the way it's perceived and communicated is where you either you, you get on or you don't right you should, you should never feel bad about coaching your people or getting on to them but I think it's our jobs as leaders is of, of companies and managers, goodness gracious! You don't have to be the CEO. The manager, and your if you're a manager of your of your space, is to how to communicate to people, to, to where they're going to be receptive and respond in a way that you, you need them to. And so, it's time. I mean, you know, and it's finding those leaders inside those spaces to be able to understand that. Sydney's my GM in Murfreesboro, and, uh, and Jeff in, in Midtown, Nashville, and uh, and it's hey. So we got onto this person. How did they respond to it? And a lot of times a response takes about 24 hours, right? We're not expecting a a huge change 30 seconds after we have that conversation. Now, in our industry, that's needed some days when we're crazy busy and we need someone's posture to change quickly. and, And that's the beauty behind this industry. And why I love it is it's a lot of quick change. But at the same time, it's like, hey, this is how this is. I was in the right. I did get onto this person. I need them to change, but they didn't you know, it worked for 24 hours and then they did. And then we go to the drawing board. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty much that simple. It's like, okay, Jeff, this is how you approached it this time. Didn't work. you were a little, uh, I don't know, lax, maybe a little reserved in how you got on them. I think maybe they need a little bit more stern this time. Hey, listen, if we don't get this right, I can't, employ you, you know, if we don't get this right, I'm just not so sure you're going to be able to work for us. I've asked you once, I'm gonna you know, one more time, you know, Whatever that looks like, however you want to communicate that. Okay, we'll see what happens. Twenty-four hours, forty-eight hours goes by. Well, that didn't work. Well, we go to the we go to the drawing board. Okay, how can I, right? How can I help you get this right? Because I like you. I like having you around. I think you can be a great employee for us. But I've came to you twice, and what I thought was best practice to get you to do this. You know how? What can I do to get you to do this right? And maybe that should be the first thing. You and I think they'll kind of throw it on the table as to how they need to be coached. But that that's essentially how we do it. And you've got to have leaders in place that are intuitive enough to understand, hey, I asked them once. They didn't do it. That's not on them. That is on you 100%. That's not on the employee. That's on you to figure out why they weren't receptive. Did you communicate in a way that they were, you know, they were just not responsive? We all have different personality traits. We've all got these enneagrams and, you know, things. We have feels like Myers-Briggs. I feel like we've got 50,000 of these now. You know, I don't even know what I am anymore. But but the reality of it is, is if an employee is unresponsive, that's 100% on you, especially the first time. As time goes on, come on, y'all. This is human you know, interaction, this just isn't going to be a good fit. doesn't make you a bad person. It just means you can't work for me. We've tried and tried and tried. God love you, love you to death. But obviously, I'm not equipped to lead you in this space. And for that, you know, you're no longer employed with us. And that's typically how most of our firings go. We give them, we extend so much grace over and over. We ultimately have to get to the point of what can I do to get you there? I think it's just this whole idea of servant leadership, you know, it's the only way to lead. And um, and so I, I just think they'll put it on the table for you if you if you approach them in that way. Yeah,
1: I, I like that, that idea. I'm curious about, so I don't know if I've asked you this, and again, for any of our listeners, I, I suggest you go back and listen to the first, I would think it was probably 10, I should have looked this up, probably 10 or episode 10 or 11, maybe 12 somewhere around that. now, we're, gosh, we're, we're filming like 70-something right now. It's crazy to think about that. But I don't know if I asked you this then, but, but I've thought about this a lot listening to you today. And, and I think about the way you do business a lot, even though, you know, we talk occasionally, but like even outside of that. And I'm curious, you know, a lot of young people, maybe not even young people, when they are running an organization, the, way, the size you're running, you're running four stores, A lot of people get to where it kind of gets in their head. Okay, look what I'm doing. Look, look, I got four stores. You know, I've never heard you say things like that. And what about your story and your life makes you so passionate about helping others? You're talking about servant leadership. So I'm curious where that generated, where that started, because it, it didn't just come from you one day in business saying, I'm going to become a servant leadership. Like before you started your stores or when you were starting them, what was it about that that made you decide to take that approach to hospitality and to your your team?
0: Such a good question. Number one, I come from a home of givers. I come from two parents that just raised me to give, 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 give and have a posture of humility. And so I think once you get older and you mature and your parents have planted that seed... And I think you understand what life is about at that point as you mature. Now, E, was their days 24-year-old Spence opening up his first restaurant? Gosh, I could give you conversations that I had maybe under the influence or with, with other people that were not the Spence that you're talking about right now. But I think what business has a unique opportunity to do is humble you big time. Like I said, we all think we're superheroes until we're not. I think, you know as we as we grow e yes there's a lot of positives to that and what the world would think or see as successful, but what they don't see is that also doubled my Yelp reviews. <laughs> you know, that also doubled the headaches with the employees. That also doubled my, my you know, time and issues. And so I mean for as much as the world would like to think, hey, kids doubled his company overnight and, things are going well, it's just not, it's not, not the case. And so I think it's important that Maxwell says it best. You're never as good as, as people say you are, but you're never as bad as they say you are either. And I think it's just, you keep level-headed. You're, you live in the middle, you live in that gap. Um, and I think as long as holding a position of humility and my posture is humility, then I just think that's the number one thing every business owner, business you know manager, leader in their own respective position. If you can master that, I promise you the rest will come. But it it has there's no other way to do it. I'm just not going to be a dictator. I'm not gonna. I believe I'm some a part of so much something bigger than myself. I'm a big Jesus guy, and so for me is I'm not here on earth to sell a crap ton of pizzas. I'm here to steward every little thing that's been given to me. I didn't earn any of this. I'm here to be a good steward of my money, of my workspaces, creating an environment where people feel comfortable in, places where I can serve people, places where I can, yes, absolutely make a lot of money, but it's only because I want to give away a lot of money. You know, I just think I was was put here to be a good steward of what was being graciously given to me. I didn't earn this. I don't deserve this. This could be anybody. And so if you have that posture, I think, you'll understand why it is we decide to do so much uh, for our communities and for our people. And I just think if you're into business for changing people's lives, I think you you wind up doing a whole lot of both. And that if you're in business just to make money, which is great, there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's great and all, but if you're into business for changing people's lives, I think you wind up doing a whole lot of both. And I think that's a win-win man, good parents and business will humble you as much as it'll put you on a pedestal. It'll humble you the same day. And if you're not level-headed and understand that you're not as good as what people want to say you are, and you sure as heck aren't as bad as the ones that want to talk bad about you, if you can live right there in that gap, I think you can run a successful company. But unfortunately, the guys that get on the high of highs and people are parading them, you know, are the same ones that's going to get lower lows when people start dogging them. And that's just unfortunate. No one needs to live there. And either one of those spaces, I believe, I'll give you one story. When I was 24, 25, obviously this young entrepreneur, you get a lot of applause, right? When you're young. Well, then it was the expectation and the applause stopped. So 25, 26, I got one or two and I felt like I was crushing this thing. Well, the applause stopped. This was just the expectation. And it took me a while to realize, it was like, hey, number one, audience of one, because uh, I'm a you know, big Jesus guy. But at the end of the day, is I, uh, I, could, I, I was living for the applause maybe the first 24, 25. felt good, man. Young entrepreneur, doing well for himself. Oh, man, this guy's got it going on. Well, after a time, this is, this is what they expect from you. So the applause is going to stop. It's no, you're no longer wooing them anymore. This is what they expect from Spence. Good for him. They'll be the thought, first
1: to tell you when you fail, too.
0: Right, right, right. right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And be, but they'll be the first to tell you when you fail. And, I mean, obviously, that's where a lot of my motivation comes. I just can't help but to think somebody somewhere is sitting there going, I can't wait for this dude to screw up, you know, because I've had my moments. But.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's the part that, that people often forget about entrepreneurship, unless you've been in it enough of years to realize, is that at some point it, gets, it can get very lonely. And you realize that, like you said, you're in this audience of one, whether that's for yourself or for Jesus or whatever you believe in. But I think that the guys who, who make it through that stage of realizing that, okay, you know, I'm, I might add to what Maxwell says. I think that sometimes it's not even just about how good other people say you are or how bad they say you are. I think for me, it's how good I think I am and how bad I think I am. And I don't think I'm either of those either. And, and for my struggle is often internally. I don't so much care what other people think, but it's sometimes, you know, we might do a big deal and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, we crushed this only for the next day to get a call that I don't want to get. And then you realize that you're really not as great or as bad as you think you are either. And ultimately it comes down to your team. And I, th- I think that I have this, this just unfathoming amount of gratitude for the guys who, that I get to work with. It's not that they get to work for me. It's that I get to work with them. I'm lucky enough that I get to spend time with them. And and that's something that that has really that I've really learned and and so
0: Well, that's why you've been successful. I think, you know, when you quit loving your people, you need to do them a favor and quit leading them, you know. Yeah. And I think what you what you're saying right there is what every leader should be listening to and I know I was was you need your people as much as they need you. This is a two-way street. If you ever get the feeling entitled or that that they need you more than you need them, that you've lost, or your or your, you know, your business can be shut down in six months. Unfortunately, and, you know, it sounds harsh, but that's just the reality of today's, you know, labor force. Is the people that are appreciating the ones that they got are eventually going to end up with the ones that. with the people that aren't appreciative of their people and that's just it man I mean that's that's it if if no one that hears the thing we've said I mean that that is the posture that is it you got to love on your people you gotta you've got to have this whole idea like I get to work with you rather than you come work for me I always tell people when we hire them it's like listen you know, some people will joke around or whatever. I walk in, they call me boss man or whatever, and I just I hate that. Like that's, not, I'm, dude, we're friends, man. We're we're friends. If we can't be friends, then I can't be your boss because you're not gonna respect me, you're not gonna like me, and I think you gotta like me for me to lead you. I mean, <laughs> it's just the reality. And I would much uh, we're friends. I don't, uh, I I just don't, uh, I don't I don't like that at all. It's kind of like you, but I think I've I've learned that from you. I really really have. I think you're just a very poised leader yeah i do i think you're you're very level-headed i think your insecurities from how you feel like you're doing is um it's crazy because i I just i wouldn't be anywhere without my failures with like the the crap that i messed up on and this thing wouldn't mean a dang thing to me if i if i hadn't have screwed this thing up once or twice or had some awkward conversations with some employees or you know, if I hadn't have done it wrong, then I would never know what, what right was. And so I think it's inevitable. We have to have those failures to grow 100%. Are these, acquiring these two stores could be the best thing that ever happened or could be the worst, which yet to be determined. I mean, it's TBD. I mean, we... scary part about on Yeah, we just don't... I don't know. I know I've got two stores funding two stores in Tennessee right now. You know, I don't, I don't think they're making money. But I know for a fact the two that I were busting my tail for for the last five years are. And, and so... Who knows? Can I turn these things around? Can I not? We don't know. This could put my whole company under or we could, you know, or we could just do what we want it to do. But either way, I've got to be okay with the outcome because it's it's, going to challenge me. It's going to make me a better individual. It's going to make me a better leader one day. And I got to be okay with that. I got to be okay with personal growth, you know, sometimes more than, than financial growth. And I think sometimes that's hard for us to grasp.
1: Yeah, you you hit the nail on the head there, and I, and I think to kind of tie this up, I know you you're a busy guy, and we'll get you out of here. But the, it, I think everything comes down to to who you are adding by your side to help you get to where you because you're like you said, you're not going to be able to do these stores alone. And and in that way, uh, can we can we give out the addresses of your stores for people like so? for Murfreesboro or like for our Murfreesboro listeners for Nashville. And then if you're going to do a grand opening in Nashville, I'd love to hear about it. Me and Cisco have actually already talked about it. Like, how can we get, how can we fill your store? So, you know, anything that that we can do, guys, Donato's Pizza. And there's, there's, they're around, but you will never find better service than Spence's stores.
0: Yeah, well, give us some time. You know, I'm thinking uh, we're going to get through the New Year's because it's going to be an organic kind of push to that area. So we're um, we're gonna go. We're gonna get through New Year's. I've got some new staffers starting January, but I'm thinking probably February. I would say February one. We'll do like a big grand opening. I am hoping to you know pump some money into that dining room and get couches and uh, get some heaters on the patio and, and fire pits and and things that make. I just want you guys to hang out. You know it, the way the aesthetic is right now. It looks more like I want you to come in and leave. You know more transactional to where I want. A space to where you feel comfortable and you know where it's at on midtown it's like listen you know it just it's it's a more cozier spot i feel like midtown and i love midtown i'm, I'm a big winners and losers guy but at the end of the day like i i just feel like it's it's different in that area and that it can be a spot where you just chill walking distance from your condo and play jenga or you know what i mean yeah, play a fun night whether way. it's not a a crazy, get wild, crazy, you know. Not that winners and losers can't be that, too. I sure as hell don't want to make any enemies. I love everybody and I hope <laughs> yeah. everyone wins here. Yeah. But I just think we're built probably more for a come hang out for an hour, hour and a half, you know, to, to, and just chill and hang. And we're going to try to create that aesthetic and that's going to take some time. But, While we're at it, when you said partners and things of that nature, oh, yes, first off, I would love you in Cisco to do that. That would be huge. We'll we'll come up with an event, and we'll just do it. I just want to make sure that it's one of those things in our industry, first impressions are everything. I can get on this podcast and talk about customer service all day long, but if I don't have the people to do it and you guys pack that place out, now I'm a hypocrite and it's like, oh, he's full of, you know what? So, you know, I've got to get the staff. I got to get the people I need and that's going to take time. And then obviously the aesthetic aesthetically from the front of the house, I'm changing and renovating the whole place. And so that's going to take a little bit of time when that happens, I think would be a beautiful time yeah. for us to pack that out. So you guys kind of understand kind of where we're at and I would, I would be excited for that. That would be awesome. But partners, since we didn't give her the attention she deserved earlier, um, marriage has been one of the best decisions that I've made. As far as this entrepreneurial, crazy life of mine, she keeps me sane. She holds me accountable. Hey, you said you would be home by this time. You need to be home by this time. You said you'd be home by dinner, or you said we would meet here for dinner. I'm not playing these games with you. Get your ass there. You know, she's been, and the flip side, she's caring, loving. She gets it. She has her own business. And so she understands not just the physical toll it takes on you, but mentally, mentally. She's okay with me showing up to dinner and saying four words just because she knows I just want to breathe. And I think as an entrepreneur, if you can find that partner, someone that just kind of gets it, that understands the long, the wordy days that you have and a lot of go, go, go and talks and putting out fires here and motivating people here and being on the phone here, um, you know, I think she gets it and she's uh, she's been so supportive for me at home. She's been amazing, and obviously she's going to be the best um, mother of our child, um, Sloan. We have a little girl due in May, and so I don't Sloan? think— Yeah, Sloan v. That's awesome. Presley Sheldon, and wow. so um, I don't think we've ever even told anyone when, when she's due, but yeah, she's due in May. So right now it's a Cinco de Mayo baby, so she's, uh, she's pumped about that margarita come May 5th, but um, we're, we're probably more pumped about the child, I should probably— say that but anyways we are we're excited it's been uh, it's been a great addition to my entrepreneurial you know craziness your wife and picking that partner that's going to be with you a lifetime is uh is crucial and it's been uh she keeps me sane she she knows that i'm tired and i need to rest and instead of me having internal, hey, should i rest should i not she's good about come home lay down lay, the stores ain't going nowhere you can pick up tomorrow. you know try again tomorrow Sucker, you know. And so she, she's very direct to the point, and, uh, and she's been awesome. So I, I couldn't do this podcast without at least giving her a shout-out because she's brand-new addition. So.
1: Good for you guys, man. I'm so happy for you guys, and go Shelby. Yeah. And, and, and dude, you guys are, are going to be amazing parents. I can't wait to see it. I think, I think God's blessed you, brother. I think that, that you've earned every bit of it, and, and gosh, I, I tell so many people about you. Uh, you're, you're just one of the greatest dudes I've ever met, and, I, and I'm not just going to sit here and pat your back all day. But the, but I really genuinely mean that. You're you're one of the greatest leaders I've ever watched grow an organization, and I often think I, I really do. I sometimes and I'm I think what would Spence do? And it's always when it comes to your team and and you know how to handle certain situations. So, I know you're, you know, you're opening up stores. You're, you've got so much going on. You took the time today to be here. Uh, appreciate it. It doesn't go unnoticed by me. I want to, you know, just shout out Donato's Spence Sheldon on Instagram, Facebook, whatever. Uh, we didn't even get to talk about Almost Home Clothing. Follow that on Instagram. It's a nonprofit you're doing, which is doing amazing yeah. things.
0: Almost Home has been awesome for us, for the tornado relief. We've raised about 13000 right now. Right now, we just kind of have sitting in a reserve account for the tornado relief back at home. And um, it's one of those things to where, you know, we're getting a lot of immediate help from the state level and and, uh, the government. And so we're getting, you know, a lot of help from everywhere, whether it be Red Cross or FEMA, and they're in our town right now, but in 30 days they're gone. And so we're so our so our town is back to fending for themselves and figuring out and there's going to be tons and tons of families still looking for housing and furnishing and, uh, you know, get their life back in order. And so we're just kind of holding out. We're still obviously taking monetary donations because I think that's the need. I think we're going to pick two families and get them long term housing for a year, you know, pay whatever that looks like, furnish their home, get them clothes and just, you know, our, our goal is to. Is to leave them better than they were before the tornado. Not let's not get them back to zero. We want to we want to take them to ten, and to where the tornado is in fact a good thing. We want to write a really cool last chapter for some of these families. And so we're kind of holding out. We would obviously still take monetary donations, and uh, it's almost home, on Venmo, and then you can just go to our uh, Instagram, Almost Home Clothing. And if you want to be a part of it, you want to be there when we go to these families. Obviously, we'll take you. You know, if you want to see where your money's going. We're not uh, great at that just yet. We would love to have you join us um, in that. But, man, the feelings are mutual. You're easily, easily, this is the easiest yes. I, I think I asked for this, actually. I think when I was with you, I was like, dude, I'd love to come back on the podcast. Because you ask great questions. You genuinely care about every person on this podcast and their careers. It's not, hey, look at me. I want to grow my Ultimate Shift brand. It is legitimately you diving into so many people. I'll say this too. you at your ultimate shift party. I saw so many people from so many different walks of life, and I was only there for 10 minutes. And every industry, every state, that doesn't happen without you. That's just the kind of guy you are. Um, I was amazed by that. I was amazed by the travel. I was amazed by the industries, ethnicities. Okay, I can't say it today. They were just there. They were represented and because of you. One guy, and I know you're not going to give yourself that much credit, but I am. I do. I firmly believe there was one person that that held that room together, and it was you. And that's just who you are. And so you're inspiring me. I'm just. Uh, I'm leading out of love. I'm gonna get it right 75% of the time, um, and that's good enough for me. So.
1: Amen, brother. Thanks for the kind words. I appreciate it. I'm gonna let you get off here, but thanks for being here. And anytime you want to do this, we'll we'll do it again. Hey, okay, let's do it. All right.